Now let me apologize to those of you fishermen. I'm sure you don't think fish are nothing, right? <laughs> the chosen gives us uh, the emotion behind the words that we find on the pages of Scripture. I'm sure if you've ever read that story before, you don't think about um, the calluses that you might get on your hands from pulling those nets in every day. We're talking about men who work for a living, uh, not who don't have real jobs. I mean, these guys worked every day for a living, you know, it's hard stuff. And, um, and of course, in this, this moment, we see an interaction between um, someone who might be seen as, as someone who didn't have a real job, Jesus, right? It's just a teacher. Just uses words, that kind of stuff. And here's guys who have real jobs who work for a living. And he comes along and he tries to tell them how to do their job. Can you imagine the emotion you would feel if someone who you knew didn't know how to do your job was telling you how to do your job? I mean, those of you who are married know exactly what I'm talking about, right? I'm not saying which side, but you know, <laughs> let's just say that happens on a regular basis, right? It's difficult. Um, and, and so we have this moment where we get a chance to see this key character, Peter, in, the, in this process. So I want to stop just a moment before we go any further and, and just ask you at your tables to spend a little time answering one question for me, all right? Maybe two. Um, but what, what is it uh, that you were most attracted to in Peter? What is it you were most attracted to in Peter in this, this scene here? What, what, what energy inside you was touched? Or um, maybe there's, there's something about him that you didn't like, but, but what is it that, that you reacted or responded to uh, in this and why? So just take a few moments around the table. And for those of you online, if you want to just jump into the chat and do the same thing, just drop into the chat what is it you were most attracted to about Peter here in this process, and, uh, and you guys can have a little online chat uh, while we go around the table. So go ahead. And if you don't know the people at your table, you might get to know them just briefly first. All right, about 30 seconds left. Go ahead and finish up your comments. All right, let's, uh, those of you who are brave enough to, to uh, jump up and speak, what, what is it that attracts you most to Peter? Someone, just honesty. Honesty, all right? He was pretty honest. You could see right through him, right? If he had doubt, he had doubt. You could see it. If he had, we'll see in a few moments, he had courage, you could see it. All right, someone else? He didn't He didn't feel worthy. All right, I can identify with that. Over here, 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, if it had been me in the boat, that scene would have been R-rated. <laughs> All right? Who, someone said something over here? Acceptance. Acceptance. All right? Anyone else? He did, didn't he? Yeah. He screamed for help. Yeah, he, he was a leader in that group. You could kind of tell, couldn't you? Because um, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, um, you know, you might just pick up on some of the small nuances of things, like uh, James and John were the other people, and their father, they were the sons of Zebedee, and Zeb was in the boat, Right? And he told Zeb, bring her out, bring her around, Zeb. So here's Peter ordering an old man like myself around, you know. He was in charge in, in that regard. And he had this moment in his life where uh, Jesus demonstrated himself to be something other than from this world. And that's the interesting thing about Jesus is even when we have a, um, a production company like The Chosen who put... Uh, this story on film, uh, the beauty of it is, is that they didn't shrink from the supernatural nature of who Jesus is. Jesus performed miracles. He did things that we think cannot be done. So in this moment, um, I mean, we all know that generally there are fish in a pond or a lake or a sea or something, right? I mean, there's got to be some there, you would hope. I mean, I've been places where, actually, I'm not a fisherman, I'm a catcherman. Uh, I have a son who's a fisherman. I mean, he is a crack fisherman. When we go on vacation, we send him out to find the fish, so then I can come and catch the fish. I, I like being a catcherman, not a fisherman. But that night, they were fishermen, and there weren't any fish that were willing to jump into their nets in this big uh, lake or sea that's in the very north of the land of Israel, the land of Palestine. And it's this, this sea, or a lake actually, we would call it a lake if we could see it, because you can see all the way across it from any one point. Wherever you stand on the Sea of Galilee, you can see the other side. And it's uh, as if you would take uh, Smithville Lake and you would raise up all the shoreline 500 feet. So it's a bowl, huge bowl, except for the northwest corner of it. And that northwest corner has a valley that runs right into it. And so it makes this perfect chute for the wind to come whipping in in that area when the wind blows from the east or from the west to the east. And these men generally fished on this lake. It's a very fertile lake full of fish, except for this night when they had fished all night and found nothing. And Jesus comes along and suggests that they're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. <laughs> oh, that would, just, that would just piss me off. <laughs> I'm telling you. You know, you think about it, it's like we're fishing with nets. There's no really wrong side of the boat here, right? I mean, come on. But for some reason, Jesus wanted to grab Peter's heart. 
He, he, he wanted to go deep into Peter because Peter did, Vicki, like you said. He, he was transparent. He was authentic. Uh, Peter did not uh, play games, put on masks. He, he, what you saw was what you get with Peter. And Jesus wanted to get to the depths of his soul. And so he performed this incredible miracle by letting the fish be caught on the other side of the boat. And we see Peter's response. Peter's first response is, again, his honesty, right? His, his sense of, I'm unworthy. I am, I am snake spit. You know, I'm a slug. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a depraved sinner. And he, he, he understood clearly what was at stake here. There was an exchange of kingdoms going on. Peter realized that he lived in his own kingdom, his own world. He was the king of his own kingdom. And he had met a king of another kingdom. And when Peter kneeled that day on that shore, he was giving up his crown and offering up to Jesus to say, I want you to be my king. Anything you ask, he says, anything you ask. Jesus doesn't ask much, does he? He just says, follow me. Follow me. He did, didn't really say believe, did he? He said, follow me. Follow me. And as we move along in the story, as we, the pages open up in those the stories of Jesus called the Gospels, we see that Jesus makes clear what that means. Following him means doing what he says. Just simply obeying because he's the king and when the, the new kingdom is set right, the king orders it in a way. And then we discover that not only is he the king, but he's the creator. He made everything. He understands how things fit together. He understands how they ought to operate in their world. And what's beautiful about it is, is that Peter believes what Jesus says, but he does more than that. It's not a, it's not a, a mental ascent. Jesus actually gets Peter to follow him, to do what he says. And as we come along in the story, and we find that after Jesus' death, um, we've got some great stuff about Peter, because Peter wrote two of the books that are in the Bible. So we, we get this uh, insight into, into his thinking. He not only gives us his, his clear, honest appraisal uh, of himself in the stories, but he then begins to write about it. But before I get there, I, I want to stop in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is like the story of Jesus and his followers after Jesus departs. Jesus is tried, he's crucified, he's buried, and resurrected. So he performs that last miracle while he's on earth by coming back from the dead. And, and it's like the crowning miracle. It's the miracle that, of all miracles. And as he comes back from the dead, he gathers his followers, and then he leaves. And then the book of Acts is the story of what happens after he's gone. 
It doesn't take long. Peter becomes a key character in the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts. And in chapter 4, we find Luke, who's writing this book. Luke describes what people thought about Peter and his friend John. He says, when they saw their courage, Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. I, I love the resume that they give about these two guys. Unschooled and very ordinary. Now that's who Jesus called to follow him. Unschooled, ordinary men. And so when Peter thought himself unworthy, he was thinking at one level, but Tony, I think God was thinking, or Jesus was thinking at a whole nother level. They were ordinary people, and that's exactly the kind of clay that Jesus wanted to be able to work with. You know, I think in, in any moment in our lives, when we come to a spiritual experience of any sort, there's kind of two stories that we have to deal with. Let's take a look at, at this, and I, I'm, I'm not very good at art, so I stole this off the internet. Um, Diana, if you could... Put that picture up there. There we go. All right. So, so there's, there's, there's kind of two stories that we live life at. And sometimes people live life at, actually in a basement story, if we could put it. They never even engage in a spiritual journey. Never even think it's a possibility. And so th they never get here. But when, when all of a sudden spiritual things arise, um, we, we can actually get stuck. Because this, this first level, this lower room identity is, is a place where there's some things going on that we're attracted to. Show the next slide, Diana. Um, I think what we would see, and, and even we could apply this to Peter and his friends, his brother Andrew, James and John, uh, that lower identity, they, they maybe were connected to Jesus in a place. Uh, they were in the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus spent most of his ministry around that area. Oftentimes, when you begin to read the Bible, you know, they're just little things that you don't pay attention to in, at his geography. Jesus spent over 60% of his time in the north of Israel around that Sea of Galilee. And so that's where he was. And so maybe it was because he was around them. They were obviously connected to his personality. He seemed like kind of a cool guy. Quirky, but, but, but cool. Great facial expressions, right? Um, maybe his program, like his teaching, and we cut out of that, that piece there, Jesus told a story, and he was constantly telling stories to people as spiritual truth. And people were, were gravitated by that, and so thousands of people at one point were following Jesus, or, or maybe just the people around him. They were, they were interested in the people. It happens true for you and I in a Western context when we come to a spiritual journey. Oftentimes in the, the Western world, we think about starting our spiritual journey in a box like this uh, on a corner someplace with a building that has the label church put up on it. It's a, it's a bad use of the term and not a biblical use of the term because the church is not a building the people, the people 
that maybe gather there can be the church, but, but not, not the building itself. But oftentimes, you and I are, are related to the place. Maybe this place is close to where you live, easy to get to. Or maybe you like the personality. I mean, you like it when, you know, Justin or Sean or Dan's up here. You just have to put up for me very, so seldom, okay? Um, but, but you like the personality that exists. You like the music up here. You know, when Ann Lynn belts that song out, you know, and, 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 and maybe you're waiting for that week when we get the guy on the guitar up there going, you know, and you think, wow, I love that, you know. Or, or the programs. Maybe it's the kids' program. Maybe it's the, the, uh, the FPU or, or uh, anything else that happens here, groups and that kind of stuff. You're, you're attracted to that. Or, or you, just someone, coffee, okay, coffee. <laughs> All right, there we go. We'll put coffee up there. You get that, Pat? Coffee. Attracted to that coffee. Kansas City blend, roastery. That's right. So, um, or, or the people, the, the nice smiles behind the coffee shop there, you know, and the ladies that fix that up, uh, or, or any other, the people that have a friend brought you and that kind of stuff. So we, we get attracted. But that's a lower level type attraction. That, that is it's, it's like there's a ceiling to that identity. And, and Peter busted through that identity. You know, Jesus said something to him right at the very end of that clip when he said, Peter, I've got some really great things for you. I've got another dream for you. And oftentimes in our own spiritual journey, we don't get that dream. We think that we're ordinary people. And we even think of ourselves spiritually as unschooled. I don't know much about the Bible. You know, I'm, I, I haven't ever been to any, any formal training of any sort. I don't have any letters behind my name, and so God couldn't use me. And yet, when we look at Acts chapter 4, we find that they were uneducated. They were ordinary men that God was using to teach the most educated religious leaders of the day amongst the Jews. You see... Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and all the followers of Jesus actually found that upper room identity. They actually climbed those stairs into a level to discover God's purpose for them. As a child of God, Peter goes on to say some really amazing things. You know, he writes two books, you know, in, in the Bible, um, and so 1 Peter and 2 Peter, not hard to figure out, right? And uh, so right at the beginning of the second book, he, he writes this. Now, this is written, uh, you know, just you can't divorce yourself from Acts 4.13. These guys are talking about, you know, they are unschooled, ordinary men. This unschooled, ordinary man says this about Jesus' followers, about people who have accepted Jesus' opportunity to become the children of God. In John 1, 12, remember Jesus says, trust, trust in me, and I will make you children of God's. Peter says this about God's children. He says, his divine power, speaking of God, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us very great and precious promises so that through them, we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, that's a mouthful. I mean, it's like, whew, 
you know? It just seems like, wow, what did he just say? And he's basically saying that God's children possess everything they need to get to that unique call of God and to be that unschooled, ordinary person making an extraordinary impact where you live, learn, work, or play. That's what he's saying, is that God has called you. God has a unique call on your life, just like he had on Peter's life. He wants to use you. He wants people to look at you and say, wow, she's an unschooled, (laughs) ordinary person who's been with Jesus. That's the key phrase, who's been with Jesus who's begin to hear from God, begin to take what God says to heart and let it act itself out in our world. Begin to exchange the crown of my life, my kingdom, for Jesus' kingdom and say, I have a new king now. I have a new calling and I have a new purpose. I want to get to that vision that God has for me. Peter found that, and we get a chance to see that in his life. We get a chance to to look up close and personal in Peter's life to to see what happens when an unschooled, ordinary guy decides to bow his knee and take off his crown and put on a new crown or accept a new king in his life and move in a different direction. But it wasn't always that easy. This fishing moment in Peter's life actually comes twice in the story of Jesus. And in between, there's a lot of things that happened and, and a lot of really dark things that happened in Peter's life. And so Jesus, at the end of his life, has to restore him, has to bring him back, has to really help Peter understand that this journey is not a journey ever upward. It's a journey of valleys and mountaintops, valleys and mountaintops. You know what I love about Peter is his authentic relationship with Jesus. He's unafraid to tell Jesus what's on his heart. Jesus has been off in a place called the Capolis, uh, which is a Gentile area, a non-Jew area, and he's been healing people there, and, and uh, Peter, as a Jew, is, is pretty pissed at that. It's like, for, for the Jewish mindset, you know, in, in that day, it, it was pretty racist in a sense, is that they viewed non-Gentiles, in fact, the word Gentile was synonymous with the word dog. Uh, they, they viewed anyone outside their race as, as dogs, and so Jesus is, is challenging that with his activity, moving in and out across racial barriers and boundaries to say, look, all God's children deserve the Messiah who came not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And so Peter's a little pissed at that because he's getting his theology corrected. He's getting his, his uh, racial identity corrected in this moment, but he's not afraid to tell God what he thinks. You know, people who've been with Jesus have that kind of character. They have a relationship. Sometimes we call it prayer, but prayer is like a, 
it's, it's kind of a holy thing. It's, it seems like I bow my head, I clo- you know, cross my hands and that kind of stuff. It's not like looking up and telling God exactly what you're feeling. It was a, a, a great saint from Great Britain, G.K. Chesterton. He was really uh, C.S. Lewis's mentor. Uh, G.K. Chesterton says, uh, it, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. He said, it's been largely untried and found difficult. You see, in that midst of Peter's life, it goes up, it goes down, it goes up, and it goes down. There's a sense in which we learn to talk to God about exactly what we're feeling. Like the prophet Jeremiah, if you want a clear understanding of what painfully honest prayer is, turning the first half of the Bible to the book of Jeremiah, look at chapter 20, and you see someone who is screaming at God and telling him exactly what he thinks. See, God's okay with that. He wants a relationship. He wants a two-way relationship. He wants you to hear from him in this book. He left 66 books for us. His wisdom here, he wants you to hear regularly from him in that. And he wants you to speak to him in painfully honest ways. That's what it means when we read those words in Acts 4.13 that these men had been with Jesus. Peter has several more very painful moments in his life that we're not going to look at. But if you want to look at the warp and woof, the up and down, the mountaintop valley of Peter, just get a Bible. Open to the back. Most Bibles have this thing called a concordance. It's I don't know why they call it a concordance. It's an index, really. Okay? Maybe concordance is religious for index. I'm not sure. But um, and just look up Peter, or just go on the internet, you know, use your phone, uh, and, and just look up Peter, the Apostle Peter, not, you know, Peter Bogdanovich or some other, you know, guy you'll find on IMDb, and just read all the passages about Peter's life, and you'll discover that mountaintop and the valleys. Because after experiencing these two events, Peter will go on at Jesus' trial to deny that he ever knew him. And after that denial, Peter will meet Jesus one more time on the shore of that sea. And he'll be there around a fire. And Peter will come with the deepest of shame having betrayed someone who had been so dear and expressed himself so miraculously to him. And yet, in his moment of need, when all of his friends deserted him, Peter was one of those that deserted him. And yet, at that moment around that fire, Jesus restores his relationship with Peter. And Peter goes on. Not many days after that, to stand in Jerusalem and to be said of the religious leaders, these uneducated, unschooled, ordinary men have been with Jesus. You see, the beauty about Jesus leaving heaven, coming to earth, is that he put 
a face on God. He gave us something to hold on to. He gave us a sense of understanding that there is in this world, despite the fact that we can't touch and see and feel him now, there's a presence of God ready, willing, and available to your life. Because you, like me, probably feel that you're unworthy, you're uneducated, sometimes unschooled, and extremely ordinary. And that's okay. Because those are the people that Jesus started with. Those are the people that Jesus wants to finish with. He, he wants to know that you're ready to take off that crown. That you're ready to bend your knee and look at a new king and a new kingdom. A new relationship. A new opportunity to hear from him. To begin to learn what it's like to read the Bible for yourself. To respond to God in this new kingdom, in obedience, to, to realize that he, he created life and he knows how to help us navigate the mess that we call life. But it has to be done by clinging to him. It has to be done by holding him close. And oftentimes in a life when we think he's the farthest away, he's the closest, but yet the fact is, is that our eyes, like Peter's, get shuttered. And we think just because there's trouble, just because there's anxiety, just because things aren't happening the way I want them to happen, that God is not near. James, the brother of Jesus, gave us this beautiful passage in, in the letter that he wrote near the end of, of the Bible when he said, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You see, the problem is not usually with God being present in the midst of our struggles and stuff. The problem is the fact that our eyes are shuttered and we just haven't opened them up. We just haven't acknowledged the presence of God in the midst of our struggles because as hard as it is to take that crown off and lay it down, it somehow is so easy to pick it up and put it back on. Because I want to be the, the person who orders my world. I want to be the person in charge. I want to be the person in control. I want to do what I want to do because, frankly, I'm smarter than you are. And you think the same thing about me. Really? I mean, just as individuals, we've got this sort of sense of uh, we are our own little gods. No one knows us like we know ourselves. And there's a creator God who left heaven, came to earth, who knows us better than we will ever know ourselves and wants us to keep that crown on the ground, to keep that knee bowed and the acknowledgement of embracing a new king and a new kingdom to walk in it. Let's pray. Father, as uh, we finish today, we're, we're mindful that 
it's so easy to have religious experiences like this to be moved by music and video and, and, and to move out of here into our normal lives without ever really having anything transformational take place. And so this morning as we finish with the life of Peter, we just ask that, that you would push deep into us. Push deep into us a sense of, of what it is you want us to get from Peter. Father, he took his crown off. He put it back on several times. But ultimately, he left that crown on the ground. And so as we think about Peter, Father, we, we want to learn from him. We want to take that crown. We want to put it on the ground. We want to grab a hold of you and acknowledge you as our king, as our savior, uh, as our guide, as our counselor, as our friend, uh, as our teacher, as our encourager, as our strength. So, Father, there's some of us this morning that, that need to start that journey. We need to pick up a Bible, and, and, and we need to figure out how to read it. Um, there's some of us that are in the middle of that where we have taken that crown off many times, but we've put it back on. And we're right now struggling, and we need to take it off one more time. And there are others of us, Father, that just want to rejoice because we, we know what it's like to keep that crown on the ground and to hold on to you. We know the stupidity of picking it up again and putting it back on. And we're just thankful that you have, in this season of life, given us that opportunity to experience the joy that comes with following you. Father, thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.